You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 177. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We are back, having just recovered from our first week back at school and our collective laughing fits at Brennan's favorite movie, The Reveal of the 40-Year-Old Virgin. This week, we will begin with a brief discussion of what is to come and what we're doing heading into this fall. Myself and Aaron, what we do know is we're heading to Toronto at the end of this week to speak at The Money Show, and we'll talk about that briefly. We have a big stock debate for you this week, myself and young Padawan Brennan. Brennan, what's his name? I don't know. <laughs> That's my name. That's a Star Wars reference, Brennan, not Star Trek. We'll face off and present the bull and bear cases for Leet Corporation, symbol L-E-A-T on the OTC, and an award-winning personal protective equipment company for to participants in the motorsport and leisure activities market worldwide. The coin flip dictated that Brennan take the bear case while I will ride the bull case to almost certain victory. Aaron, who, if he checks his bank account while we're reading this, should be very happy to serve as judge, jury, and executioner. Following his execution of Brennan, Aaron will tackle our next legendary investor, Charlie Munger. While known to be combative, hopefully he will not literally tackle him as he is 5'8 and 98 years old. Charlie is widely known as vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett's right-hand man, but there is more to him than this, and Aaron will delve into the details. Finally, Brett answers a listener question on Magnet Forensics, Inc., symbol M-A-G-T on the TSX, and it's for real this time, not just a head fake from the intro. Magnet shares jump sharply in 2021, but have had seen a steep decline from last summer's highs. Brett takes a look at the current fundamentals and the outlook for the developer of digital investigation solutions for more than 4,000 enterprises and public safety organizations around the world. Let's get into our show this week, welcoming my co-host Aaron and the killer bees, Brennan and Brett. Salutations. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good. Are you, are you, are you able gentlemen. to breathe out there, Aaron? Vancouver, it's uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty it bad. Is. So you were saying before the, the show the started, worst in the world yesterday. I didn't know that. Yes. Actually, I, I was on the island. I assume it was the same. So I was on the island this weekend. Hideous. And, yeah. um, you know, it didn't, it was quite you know, visible in the air, obviously, although I didn't really, I it didn't have any issues breathing or walking around. Whereas, you, you know, in the past here in Vancouver, it gets so bad, you don't even really want to leave your house, right? Um, so, but yeah, yeah quite a bit of well, smoke. I, I woke smoke. up Sunday morning. I thought my son had taken up cigar smoking because he was just like, and, and just chain smoked all over our room. Hopefully it's just Honestly, cigars, right? And or we had, were back in Bally's. Just, yes. 
in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad. The only time the air quality I think has been worse is the last time I was in Toronto and I shared like an Airbnb with you two. That was some worse air quality. Outside <laughs> of the room, it was fine. Or the, yeah. uh, the, the place we had. Actually, that place was pretty nice. You're not lying. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> On either of those things that you said. Let's not talk about inside that room ever again. Okay. So, so do we want, we want to get to some news of the week? Um, we have some, yeah, sure. interest rate hikes. Um, uh, yep. I think we got a few comments there. Aaron, do you want to start? Yes, yeah, 75, another 75 basis points yeah. last week. This is uh, also telegraphing that forecasting likely that there's going to be more increases in the future as well to try and get inflation under control. So wasn't completely unexpected. I don't know what the street was was expecting, but um, we're going to be seeing inflation numbers out soon for for August anyways, um, tomorrow as of the time of this podcast in the US mm -hmm. and the next week for Canada. So we'll see. We've recently been seeing some month over month declines, some flattening. Um, so we'll see what, what happens there. But Canada has been um, losing jobs over the past several couple of months. And this has caused the unemployment rate to increase, but the labor market is still extremely tight. So the unemployment rate in Canada right now is about 5.4%. That's almost still a record low. It's a little off the record low, but it's 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 very low. Um, could still be should still be considered full employment essentially. So, you know, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. As as we've said before, there's you know probably at least a couple increases in front of us, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But I think that it's not necessarily. Um, I think it's 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 a little little ways down the tunnel, as opposed to right around the corner. Yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, the the speech that uh, the chairman gave, Fed chairman gave at Jackson Hole, and uh, how the market was kind of surprised at the you know the strong tone that they had in terms of curbing inflation. Um, I don't think they should be surprised. They were behind the curve on that, and they really have to now get out and try to. You know, quell inflation. That is the main goal right now. So we, I, I don't think we were at all surprised to see the hike. So I mean, it, it likely continues until we see a significant period of declines. No, absolutely. Of and of course, the purpose of the hikes is to put the brakes on the economy, right? So it's actually yeah. a good thing. And they may go too far, which often and, and typically they do. <laughs> yeah, and typically they do. I mean, that's economics yeah. 101, right? The mm -hmm. the economy. Um, is an expansion mode. It starts to overheat. That puts upward pressure on prices. You get inflation, then they have to start putting the brakes on the economy by increasing interest rates, constricting the money supply. And that's typically what leads to a recession. So, um, which is what a lot of people are predicting. But, you know, saying that there's going to be a recession sometime in the near future doesn't really tell you anything because recessions come in all shapes and sizes. So, but anyways, to the point is, you know, the, the taking, you know, Taking some of the steam, some of the pressure out of the job market is exactly what the interest rate increases are intended to do. So you can't at, at on one point be hoping for a lot of job gains and on the other hand, increasing interest rates to pull back the reins on the economy. Um, of course, it would be great if you can deal with inflation without, without sacrificing any jobs. That would be the ideal situation. I just don't think it's necessarily realistic. Generally, so now the, the, the questions we keep getting is if there is inflation coming, what do we do? What do we do in our portfolio? And, and, and I think like I think it's we stress what we always stress, the quality of the companies that you put in your portfolio. I know at the start of the year in the growthier area of our research, we were focused on companies with great balance sheets, uh, creating good cash flow. And they had cash in the bank because if there isn't a recession, these are the companies that will survive. 
and can come out on the other side looking better. And I think that, you know, if we do see that going forward, that those are great companies to be well positioned in. And, you know, we kind of reiterate the research that we put out earlier in the year. Those are the companies that we continue to want to buy now. Um, when we're in Toronto at the Money Show, um, I believe we speak Friday and uh, Saturday. So if you're in Toronto, if you're in that area, come out. Uh, we'll shake your hand. We haven't been able to do that for quite a while, but it's great to get out there. We'll come out and uh, talk to any clients that are in that area or anybody who wants to talk to us about being a client or just you know, talk about our research in the markets. We're going to highlight some research we put out to clients a couple of months ago in terms of looking at the entire tech sector, uh, taking the pulse of where the valuations were then in terms of historical numbers. And we're going to talk about that essentially in our, in our talk there and talk about some of the companies that we kind of put out a couple months ago uh, to our clients that offer good value and we continue to like those companies going forward. So that's what we'll talk about at the money show. I think it'll be quite an interesting talk. I believe I'm going to do a panel on, uh, on what's the Friday panel about? as well. Um, I, I think finding value in a down market type thing okay. or finding growth or something to that effect. Do, right? you know, so, do you remember offhand who's going to be, I don't, I don't have the list yet. So no. like I, I reached out, I said, send the list. Um, it would be nice to see. Uh, I maybe it's up on the website now. And if anybody, uh, uh, one of you two guys can look while I'm speaking right now, we can find that out. That would be great. Uh, but you know, see, yeah, it's, and then we'll put it in there. Who's going to be on the panel. Um, it would be great. Uh, there's like last time we had Gordon Pape, I believe, and the uh, Contra the Herd guy. I, I can't remember his name right now. Sorry. Um, but uh, Benj Galander, I think, yes, was on that. And uh, I mean, I've been on panels with various people in the past there. I believe um, the lead singer of Kiss was on one. So that was <laughs> that was an awesome panel, to be honest. It was good. I mean, but I like to, you know, I. I like to keep it light, but then we'll have some great recommendations here. I, I remember five years ago, we recommended Expel on the panel there. It was trading around five bucks after we had, that was in the September period. And we had uh, recommended to clients just a year before in like the dollar 40 period. It had jumped by March to $3. And even at five bucks, it was probably cheaper on an earnings basis than it was on our original recommendation because of the huge jump in earnings. But you know, those are, you know, some companies that we have in our existing research that we may throw out there. So I encourage uh, investors that are in that area, come out and uh, listen to us speak there. And we'll, we'll tell you how to, not only what we think in terms of the valuations of the current market, a couple companies we like right now, obviously our current clients already know those companies, but, and then we'll talk about uh, how you simply put together that portfolio, that 15 to 25 stock portfolio that we uh, advise our clients to put together uh, each year. Yeah, so I found so, uh, it here. Um, yeah, I, I found it, it here. If I could just panel. quickly, now, yeah, yeah, that's how you ahead, tap buddy. dance while someone finds. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's finding winning stocks even in a bear market, and there you are Something along like with Peter Hodson, Gavin yeah. Graham, and Benj Gallander. Wow. Um, so that oh, is who you're well, I know all three of them. Yeah. We yeah. we may end up just rolling around on the ground and fighting. <laughs> you never know. That's I don't promise that. Sell more tickets. gets in on time. He can join in too. Yeah, sell more tickets. Just taking in everything and putting it on our YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Which no, we'll I'm looking forward to it because Ryan, you've spoken recently, somewhat recently at the Vancouver conference, uh, Cambridge mm -hmm. conference. This will be the first time for me speaking in front of a live audience since the pandemic started so it's i'm, I'm really mostly dead to. audiences yeah hopefully there'll be more than you know three people there 
No, I know. Uh, it, I, I, like it'll honestly, we it'll there, be great. Five hundred people, so it the, should be the, good. It should the, be good. Yeah. the yeah the the money show does a great job of uh, of organizing the conference and uh, yeah getting. People I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So being that it's the first time back, it's I'm gonna you know try and do something that's. Aaron's gonna be on point. He's gonna. I'm gonna. Be, I'm just. I'm gonna be making fun of Ryan the whole great, time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. That's that's low hanging fruit. Though. Come on, that's easy to do. So, do we have anything else we want to discuss before we get into this massive debate? You know, just Brennan, really quickly. Um, Brennan looks we, nervous. I don't know. Brennan, you're nervous. Yeah, he, I'm, well, I'm not nervous. No, no, no. I was just quickly going to bring up. You know, we we were talking about interest rates going up. Um, you know, inflation potentially coming down. We are starting to see housing prices come down a little bit. Um, I just, Brett will quickly flash up on the screen here. This is from a Bloomberg article that I just recently saw where the, the headline is the world's hottest housing markets are facing a painful reset. So on this graph that, uh, you know, I'll get Brett to, uh, to show up essentially, the, the Toronto housing market is still up 45% since the beginning of 2020. Um, so I mean, they're predicting that housing prices are planning on coming down, um, you know, double digit price declines as consumers face mounting financial pressures. We'll see. Um, but it just is interesting that uh, we're starting to see um, some of these more volatile markets start to turn over. Um, I'm personally looking for a home myself in Saskatoon. Um, we clearly Where? don't market. have. Pardon? That sounds like a man. Yeah, hot market. All right. It's a... And Ryan thinks that it's made up. No, it's not made up, Ryan. <laughs> Even though you tell everyone it's a beautiful that you go to conferences. Place. Are... There's yeah, it is. Have you ever been? Beautiful place. No. Then how do you know it's a beautiful place? I looked on Google Maps. You're, you know, <laughs> I've, I've been a couple of times, Brennan. It's, it's wonderful. It is a beautiful, beautiful city. Place. I mean, especially when it's not minus 40. We have clients um, out there, so I say it's just gorgeous. But I've been trying to price the market a little bit, and I haven't seen housing prices come down too much. But uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see where we see. Uh, yeah, well, on here. that chart that we're looking at, like Sydney, Auckland, and Stockholm have yep. already rolled down more significantly. Uh, Toronto mm -hmm. is just nudged down slightly in terms of yep. where it got um, home prices, uh, like from 2020, January of 2020, to where yep. they are just starting 2022. Now, it would be this is just starting 2022 it looks there so it'd be yeah. interesting to know if we extended that out for the first six months of this year yeah i mean exactly. I, I don't think it should be any surprise that real estate no. prices are going to pull back i mean you look at where interest rates are right now i mean what's the what's the rate on a on a mortgage on a five-year mortgage I mean, I it's like four and a half percent I think it's even higher now. I think. It oh wow! Well, like I mean, that was yeah. Right. The affordability yeah. index is just you know, yeah. it's, it's 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 gone. Yeah, so it's far it's more expensive to carry. The carrying cost has yeah. gone has gone up a lot. So it's like even as the prices come down for somebody who's looking to get into the market, it's like it's great that you're buying at a lower price, but your your carrying costs are going to be higher. Yeah, unless you have a huge amount of capital sitting on the sideline, just like you yeah. Know, Cash, but you know, in Canada, unless you're like Brennan with that huge amount just sitting on the sidelines, right? No, <laughs> in Canada, you know, I think that longer term, it, it really comes down to a supply demand issue because there just isn't enough supply of housing right. for people, and that's what's going to continue to put upward pressure on prices prices over time. Mm -hmm. Like the only real solution is to increase supply so that it falls in line with demand. Otherwise, you're going to yeah. have people that yeah. don't have housing and people that have it and can barely afford it. 
And yeah. Canada's just overcrowded. We just don't have enough land here. That's the issue. Well, but the I'm thing is, is that, I mean, most of it, you know. Come to Saskatchewan. I know. It's, it, well, there's most a, of it's well, not. People would say livable land. I don't know. No, there's tons. You of know, in terms of major centers, we, we don't have, we don't have that many. But I mean, I think that there are probably a lot of nice places that, you know, we got to branch out into more and just start. I mean, that's how, that's how development happened in the past, right? Yeah. Things would sure. get too expensive in the in the main center so people would branch out they would go and build new communities yeah yeah just like a little bit of a tangent here too just as ryan was talking about how populated canada is um i saw an article uh where the economist called uh saskatchewan a remote province and a bunch of people there was a lot of backlash online because i don't think i'm remote you guys might think i'm remote anyway i just <laughs> i just thought, thought i'd bring that compared up to why it was like, interesting relatively exactly speaking. No, relatively you're not speaking you're not remote. but uh yeah i don't think we're remote anyways although the flights uh, we keep getting you flights like around to california you oh, got yeah. no direct anywhere for god's yeah, sakes get us some direct flights tell me about it it's not for you i mean for to... you right like we uh, i said yeah it's not very like, fun you, you, you gotta yeah. hop around to get anywhere but yeah. anyways all right let's get into yeah. our debate before you really you know just end it end this okay. in a pool of sweat right? so, so so we're gonna try something new um i originally was set to be the judge but we're actually going to do a dual judging of this competition we're just going to workshop this see how it goes you know it may yeah, not i didn't know ahead of time like i would have forwarded brett some cash too i yeah. only forwarded there well, you know so brennan tried the same up. thing on me right i mean i'll take the money i'm just not going to yeah. do what you ask that's all it's true yeah but i don't know five it's not that i don't have a price guys. it's not that i don't have a price it's just you know do you, you have, do you want to flip to see who goes first here? Or I mean, I'd kind of like to go first, but okay, yeah, I'd like. You okay, to you can go first. Do you want to define lead here? Do you gotta? Yeah, so, so I've you can got. Tell them uh, what we're talking about here, lead corporation. Yes, so lead corporation, L E A T on the O T C Q X. Uh, Leet Corp is renowned for the award-winning Leet Brace, and they have since extended their range of products to include Leet helmets, body armor, knee braces, elbow guards, and a lot of other uh, body armor for mostly the motorcycle industry, um, but as well, or off-road motorcycle industry like dirt bikes, um, but as well they are dipping into uh, such as just normal pedal biking as well as they've kind of touted going into skiing as well, but those would be smaller markets. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what the company does. They provide, they provide products like that. And, um, they were the first to market with their Leet neck brace, essentially, which was the first neck brace for motorcycle, uh, riders to protect them from neck injuries. Um, so that yeah. really got them on the ground running. Yeah. Um, good, solid revenue and earnings growth, like a company that you yep. wouldn't hesitate to buy right now. That's what you're saying, right? Brian? Whoa, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> just, just a second here. <laughs> I heard yes. Okay. Uh, so, um, someone can, uh, okay. Yeah. I think Aaron's timing that. Count I will do me the timing. And, and I will try to not fumble over my Don't be nervous. Words. Bull versus bear. Stock battle. Okay. I'm a little nervous. Are you are you ready, Brennan? I'm ready. Go. 
Ryan will likely talk about the company's solid current fundamentals, but the forward fundamentals may be in for a bit of a bumpy ride. The off-road motorcycle market received a huge COVID bump, with the US market growing by 40% in 2020, but anticipated to grow with just a kegger of 5.5% over the next six years. Plus, momentum in revenue growth is slowing, with Q2 2022 revenue down 26% sequentially for the first sequential decline since June of 2020. Leet operates in a very mature market with a lot of competition, as competitors have flooded the market with similar neck brace products, with Leet's neck brace sales declining 18% year over year, and over 15 companies compete for market share in the helmet and body armor market. The company's products are predominantly manufactured in China, which is a risk, and the stock is thin traded with just 5,000 shares trading hands per day. Bottom line, I wouldn't want to hold this stock after the COVID bump and into a macro environment with less consumer spending. Boom. We've got two seconds left. Brian sucks. All right. Yeah, we'll use that time. <laughs> okay. Good point, Brandon. Well, we'll see. We'll see what Ryan's counterpoints are. Ryan, are you ready? Yeah. Go. Leet is growth at a reasonable price. Despite facing tough comparables, Leet's revenues, net income for the first six months, jumped 55%, and actual EPS jumped 46% to 120. Q2 was the 17th consecutive quarter of year over year revenue growth. Has a great balance sheet, significant cash position, 5 million or 86 cents per share, 33.48 million in working capital, and basically no debt. With all this, it must trade at sky-high valuations. Wrong. Leet trades at 8.9 times trailing 12 months earnings. Growth is expected moving forward. It is not just the financials. Leet boasts award-winning products that meet the highest safety standards in sport. Safety is top of mind today for athletes and parents. Leet innovates. Newly launched helmets. Growth up 132% in Q2. It's unknown and on the OTC, making it textbook GARP opportunity. Growth at a reasonable price. And all that came from Brennan, so I would disregard anything he said. Thank you. Okay, one second. One second to spare. Excellent. Nice. Can I clarify something here? Yes. I thought I heard no. Brennan say that quarterly sales were down, and then Ryan was saying that quarterly sales no, were down. No, that was just in one segment. Se really? Because total every other They were only up in one segment. Sequentially. Total quarterly sales sequentially we're down for the first time since the pandemic. But so sequentially, up year over year. Up year up, over year. Yes. Up, up so year over year. So they had a bad quarter is what so you're that is, Yeah, well, well it was see, up year over year. I would argue so that they had really a COVID quarter. bump, but, uh, you know. Despite those tough pandemic comparables, Aaron, they still had significant <laughs> growth and only mm -hmm. traded 8.9 times with that. Okay, enough. Enough. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. You're, you're now, now you're starting to exceed your time. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah I mean, question. this is a tough one. What? Like, do you think this is a tough one, bro? Yeah, it is. I I will say something which uh, Brennan didn't uh, comment on was actual earnings as much. Where Ryan did, he was saying there was 17% EPS growth. Well, I... I I just said they had good fundamentals. I knew Ryan was yeah. going to gloss it up because the fundamentals do look good. But forward... I think that momentum is declining and that is a scary Disgusting. thing, especially when yeah. you're dealing with you know, consumer is. discretionary products. Am, am I caring about sales or am I caring about earnings? That's, that's the question here. Well, well, I mean, I don't, earnings growth to me is less 
is less um is less attractive if it's not yeah. if it's not driven yeah. by revenue growth. So right? their, their exactly. core products, and I'll just let you know too, their so core much. product sales were down, but their ancillary new products, they had they have a new helmet product just really introduced recently. But in that quarter, uh, it was up 132 percent sales for the helmets. Small base, head injuries, small base. Aaron, you want to protect your children? Just think about this. You want to protect your children? Think about the children. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm thinking. Are, are you going to that argument? And at eight, <laughs> yeah. you're protecting them at eight point nine times earnings, and we didn't even take the cash out. It's probably eight times no. when you take the cash. Okay, out. yeah, now you're starting to exceed your time again, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon got a few comments in. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I've heard enough. It's, uh, it's a tough one. It's a <laughs> tough one because, you know, for some of these companies that have gotten a big pandemic bump. For some of these companies, you know, it's it's we really have seen sales come off, and it's it's I've often said, you know, it's it's worthwhile to just, especially if there's negative momentum in the stock price, just to kind of see where sales start to trend, right? Like if there's not a hurry to jump in with like a full position, why not just see how how sales are trending, or maybe like build it up very slowly if it's a company that you like, um, because in in a lot of cases it's been it's the end of the pandemic was devastating financially to some companies that did very well. Um, but they're coming out with and new yet products. Still growth, and yet there's still growth. Yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I heard you. Post pandemic. Post pandemic. Do we need to start issuing yellow cards here, sir? I, <laughs> I might have to start muting him. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. You know, after careful deliberation to this, I'm gonna have to say that um, I call this for. A draw. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just joking. No. It's like kissing your sister. You can... so, what is it, a hung jury? No, yeah, I think it is no. a hung jury. Yeah, you know, I think that... Um, yeah, speak your mind. I could call this either way. Brett, right? what do you think? It is... It, this is ex- I'm, not, I'm not calling it either way, but sure, I'll let you t- you talk, Brett. But Yeah, something which I do... I. I I, I want to. I am so on the edge here because there is just great points on both sides. But we got to do this. Which, we, we have to do this. We're we're, yeah. we're wasting so, people's time now. I, I, I think yeah. the people have left. I, I will yeah. say mine first. <laughs> yeah, you, you so, can try to convince me, but I, I'm going to go with Ryan. You're going to go with one. Ryan, okay? Yeah, because he mentioned the balance sheet, which Brennan did not have any counterpoints against that. It's that's what's pushing me over the edge. There is they have a good balance sheet, so if they're looking at like. A year of bad quarters in a recessionary scenario, they do at least have some backing towards yeah. it. Okay. That's what I'm getting out of it. Okay. Um Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Ryan as well. And and it was so close though. It was so yeah. close, Brandon. I think that Brandon did do a good job. Oh, but Brandon this is this is this is also just no, a fun. situation of like Except he sucks. You know, <laughs> You've got fundamentals in line. You've got you've got evaluation. You've got you know. I mean, I wasn't. You know, we need to be cautious that momentum is is declining. And the mm-hmm. the problem is is that I I wouldn't just jump into a full position in this. And this is what yeah, is it, making it a difficult decision, right? But I think that Ryan, you know, at least made a, a good enough case that I would consider you know layering in to something, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. yeah, those, I'm gonna. But it was like super worries, close. Now that I've won. 
those would be my worries like that yeah, yeah there is a you know you <laughs> could have a quarter where there's a decline in, yeah. in earnings per share right you could mm-hmm. have uh and that's the thing decline. like there was still i was really very i was very growth. encouraged though to see the growth in the other products outside yeah. their core mm-hmm. product yeah. right that, that was excellent to see it shows they're innovating uh i think they're product is well thought of and the name is now well thought of you know through a, a couple of industries now and that you know helps when they bring on another product and uh, if you're well thought of and you know, have great reviews then you know that can help the growth in that product going forward but yeah like the, the issue is uh, th- some of these companies did get massive bump ups pandemic stay at home uh, everybody went out and was biking or whatever the the product was that uh, could, was used more during those times and you have to watch now if this company had a quarter where we saw significant negative decline or revenues decline significantly uh, year over year uh, then you know y- you just wait on the sidelines but we didn't see that so yeah. you know, and I just think for a quarter position quarter. for something to kind of start nibbling on it you know net cash it's, balance, it's difficult to um, and low valuation like they don't have guidance brand. going forward, yeah. which is no, something Brandy could have said. No. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is like it's tough because they've increased their international sales so much. Like they're really yeah. growing internationally now. And management has talked like the only guidance that they've really given is we have a long runway to continue to grow into this international expansion. They've been yeah. talking about. What, and one of they're, yeah, it'd be sorry. nice to see them up list too. Like one of the most persuasive yeah. things that Brennan said was he, when he said that future growth was expected to slow and the market was going to grow at five and a half percent per year. So, okay, so that's slower growth. But obviously with the valuation, you know, you're not expecting the current growth rate to be maintained, right? But I would say in the yeah. future, you know, if you could find like some statement that kind of like broke things down a little bit from like, um, you know, like an industry report or something or something from like the conference call or a competitor that yeah. talks about like the industry actually, you know, slowing, um, that would have, that would have yeah, helped as well. To be honest, yeah. like a 5.5% or I think that, that could be fine. And if they're increasing market share, rate. then you're at 10, 15% yeah. revenue they're, growth, maybe like say in the helmet part of the market, they're mm-hmm. uh, a minnow right now. If they, yeah. they have a lot of market share to gain, mm-hmm. you know, then you have yeah. the case to, uh, gain market share and grow above the industry so if you're trading at eight point something times and you're growing you know just you could maybe grow double the industry 10 percent, then you're probably even at that rate you're probably looking at a company that could be undervalued right but But we certainly the the issue is it's going to have more tough comparables going forward so Mm -hmm. uh do you have a couple quarters where they have an earnings per share decline and then, yeah, this may be a very good company, but you might have a pullback. Then that might be the opportunity to and you will. You know, buy a lot more. Right? And you yeah. will in this market. And so that's why know, it was a good debate, we thought. We looked at it, and these yeah. were the two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're looking at a company like that, it's nice to actually have a good debate where you have two yeah. judges saying, eh, either way. Yeah, you but want it to be hard, right? You don't like yeah. We've discussed we don't want to do these debates where it's, it's won or lost at the flip of the coin. We mm-hmm. want each person yeah. to have you know a good... A good yeah, opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. even though I did lose, I will pat my back. I was the uh, the analyst that pulled this stock out uh, back mm-hmm. at, at the beginning of the pandemic um, as a part of the LD500 companies. Um, and yeah, just like t- to quickly sum it up, I mean, it's basically exactly what Ryan said. Um, you know, great valuations, great balance sheet. They started with their flagship neck brace. After that, they started providing a full neck to toe or head to toe uh, offering. Um, yeah, good growth and growth to scale into.
Um, but uh, yeah, we kept the stock at a monitor, but I mean, it performed very well at that time. It was at five bucks. I think it's at 22 bucks now. Um, so it's just a, a good business that uh, uh, great fundamentals. And uh, like Brian said, textbook uh, GARP or growth at a reasonable price. Yeah, founders, good positions in the company still as well. So it's nice. It's to another see, thing that's um, nice to see yeah. entrepreneurial yeah. style business yeah. where the for sure. The oh, CEO it's a, is still. It's a, you know, I, I saw their products when we were up in Whistler, right? Like it was, it was mm -hmm. great to see. Like when you were riding your bike up there, many places, uh, backwards downhill. Yeah, it was eyes. <laughs> it was really a tricycle. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's true. But not uh, a motorbike. I'd like to see you get on a tricycle. All right, <laughs> All right let's get to um, Aaron's going to talk about uh, uh, a guy who rides a tricycle all the time, uh, and that's Charlie Marth. I could see that. Not. Yeah, I can yeah, see, I that, see yeah. that. He's at 98. It's just impressive that he's impressive. He's still the. Well, I didn't even know he was 98. Like that's the crazy thing. But yeah, it's um. There's a few interesting. Yeah, things. I had so to Google it three times because I knew he was. I thought it was still in the early to mid 90s, but I mean, we were. You know, that's. We're well, six years older than Buffett, now. so he's a yeah, little older than Buffett. Yeah. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, he's still. Uh, all there which is great yeah i mean presumably i he seems like he is he's going to work every day and still yeah, yeah yeah no he, he he definitely does so so last yeah. time we called him up he was <laughs> of course yeah yes yeah. so what we're going to do we're going to do an investor investor discussion famous investor discussion on uh charlie munger so I'm going to share my screen and, you know, I'm pretty excited about this because I, I think that Charlie Munger, I always kind of thought, you know, maybe he doesn't get the credit he deserves, even though he does get credit, he certainly gets it. But um, whenever you, you, whenever you think of Berkshire Hathaway, it's always Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's the greatest investor ever. Certainly one of the richest men in the world. Um, you rarely ever hear about Charlie. And, you know, it's funny because when, if you look at the, at the AGM, the Berkshire Hathaway AGM, Charlie's really a man of, of few words a lot of the times, like he'll answer questions just very succinctly and, you know, a couple of words, whereas Warren Buffett, he's the more charismatic one. He makes a lot of jokes, makes people laugh. Um, but I always thought, you know, maybe, maybe Charles is, is more the brains behind the operation than even a lot of people think. So I learned a few things about him. Um, mostly positive and you know you know one thing at the end that i'll talk about that i disagree with what he said but uh let's just get into it so a couple of of quick facts uh from him um born in omaha nebraska in 20 in 1924 so he's 98 years old crazy like that he's still going to work and he's still you know doing such a a, a stand-up job at, at at 98 um i mean that's fantastic uh, estimated net worth of 2.1 billion. So, you know, less than Warren Buffett, who I think is upwards around like 60 billion. Uh, one of the things I didn't know about, about Charles Munger is that he's a World War II veteran. He served in the U.S. Army Air Corps from 1943 to 1946. He was a junior second lieutenant. Now, I didn't, couldn't find a lot of information about his actual service, um, if he, if he was in combat or anything, but he, he did serve during World War II. Um, graduated Harvard Law in 1948. Afterwards, he entered um, practice as a lawyer. He had his own practice. Um, he began investing with Warren Buffett, uh, I believe it was around like 1965, 1967 range. But actually him and Warren go way back because he worked as a teenager for, I believe it was Warren Buffett's grandfather's company. So I'm sure that they knew each other even way back then. Buffett and son, yeah. And um, currently vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and 
known as Warren Buffett's right-hand man. And he, he came to this position in 1978. So one of the best ways, I think, to really understand an investor is to look at their portfolio. And this is Charlie Munger's personal portfolio. It's really not very exciting. Not at all. There's, there's four stocks in here. Costco, you hear a lot about him loving Costco. He talks about it all the time. He's a director for the company. It's a 90 million position. Um, but about 95% of his portfolio is in Berkshire Hathaway. About 1.9 billion of the 1.98. 1.88 billion of the 1.98. And he also owns a position in the Daily Journal, which from what I can tell, it's, it's basically acting right now as a holding company. So he manages the portfolio of the Daily Journal. Um, the investment portfolio, it's worth a little less than $200 million. And this is what that portfolio has. Once again, you know, nothing too exciting here. Um, five companies, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Alibaba, U.S. Bank Corp, Corp POSCO, a a ADR. So, um, you know, really not focused on a wide, casting a wide net, obviously. Now, if we look at the top five holdings of Berkshire Hathaway, so these are the top five holdings and the percentage that each of those companies accounts for um, um, of the invested capital. And Apple, 42% of the invested capital. So this is in publicly traded companies. Um, the entire portfolio, I believe, is around 450 billion or so. And it's uh, there's about 100 and 120 billion in cash or so um, as of the last reporting in June, in June 30th. So Apple, 42% of the stock portfolio, Bank of America, 10%. So the top five companies together um, account for 75% of the total invested portfolio. So obviously very focused investors. And this is really part of the comp of, of Munger's and Buffett's strategy. It's a big part of their strategy where they don't like, they don't like a lot of activity. They say like the less activity, the better. Don't be active just for the sake of being active. And they're talking, you know, to traders out there, to people that are constantly looking at the ups and downs in their portfolio and thinking, should I buy? Should I sell? Should I make changes? Um, just a quote from here, there, he says there's huge advantages for an individual um, to get into a position with just a few great investments and sit. Um, you're paying less to brokers, you're listening to less nonsense. If it works, the government awards you. And that's true. You Traders will generally pay more in taxes if they're making money. Um, he's saying the 1% to 3% percentage points compounded, which makes a big difference over time. So this is a key part of the strategy at Berkshire is to make a small number of bets and really focus your capital into the companies, a, a, a small collection of companies that um, that you believe um, really stand above the others. Make 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 those bets count. So Charlie Munger is he's very focused on learning. This is something that I heard from Warren Buffett too. These are guys that read all the time. One of the quotes here: "In my whole life, I've known no wise people over a broad subject matter area who didn't read all the time. Zero none. You'd be amazed how much Warren and him read." says he gets laughed at by his children. He reads so much. And, you know, he's really focused. He talks a lot about, about having a wide range of knowledge, like being knowledgeable on a wide range of different things. And this is, this is something that is, of course, very important to, um, to a stock picker or an investment manager because you may be researching companies in a wide range of industries. You could be researching a manufacturing company one day, another day a technology company. So having having good knowledge in a, in a wide range of areas really helps you understand what these companies are doing, what the opportunities and what the risks are. Um, but one another thing that he really has talked a lot about is the use of mental models. So a mental model is really, it's, it's an explanation of how something works in the real world. And often it's used to 
um, predict the future um, or try and predict the future, try and have an understanding of what's going to happen based on the current situation and what's going on. And it's also mental models are also used to help you understand your own biases. So he's big on developing um, a collection of mental, mental models. Um, mastering multiple mental models which underlie the reality is the best thing you can do, essentially, he says. And he's, he's provided examples as well. So uh, mental models can be hard science or engineering, um, like, for example, like the laws of physics. He talks about um, the engineering idea of a backup system as being a very powerful idea. The engineering idea of breaking points, um, the, the concept of critical mass. He's talked about Coca-Cola and Disney and how they they were able to develop a critical mass in their in their own business to become successful. And what he thinks people need to do is they need to develop these different types of mental models and they need to connect them together in a lattice work. And he calls it Lola Palooza. He says you you get Lola Palooza effects when two, three, or four of these forces are all operating in the same direction. So you have these mental models on how the world works, how um, different companies and business models operate and you connect them together in order to make good, wise decisions and intelligent investments. So mental models are not, it's not just about the laws of science, also simplicity is a main focus of his investment strategy. One of the greatest ways to avoid trouble is to keep it simple, he says, the system often gets out of control. So that's, that is a mental model as well, is that if you increase the complexity of a system, and a system can also be you know, an investment strategy or a thought process, um, as you increase the complexity of it, it, it becomes more difficult to understand and you're introducing a lot of risks and a lot of problems. Simplicity has a way of improving performance by enabling, enabling us to better understand what we're doing. And he says we have three baskets for investing. And this is really good. He says yes, no, and too tough to understand. So if something violates the simplicity principle and he doesn't understand it, he doesn't invest in it. And obviously from looking at his portfolio, we can tell that... Um, we can tell that he he a lot of most of his decisions, the vast majority are in the no or the too tough to understand. He very few times does he say yes. Now, he's been very outspoken on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, very serious on this subject. Um, he he thinks that it is what one of the quotes here. I think I should say modestly that the whole damn development being crypto and Bitcoin is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. Another one in my life, I try to avoid things that are stupid and evil and make me look bad. And Bitcoin does all three. So very outspoken against Bitcoin. Um, now, I, I, I really see eye to eye on a lot of what he says. I think about 95% of what he says is spot on, particularly with the learning, with the developing mental models, with understanding your own biases. He talks a lot about that. So anybody who wants to learn more, you know, go on YouTube and, and listen to some of his his discussions. He's not as charismatic um, or as funny as Warren Buffett, um, but he he's a very good speaker. But one of the things I, I did come across was an article from Reuters in June of 2021, where he was talking about um, the communist government of China's policy um, in with respect to Jack Ma and, and uh, essentially the disappearance of Jack Ma. So he made some statements there where he basically said, that the um, he thought that the communists um, got it right, that they basically called Ma up, um, said, you're not doing this, Sonny. And he, he thought that was great. Another comment about how, you know, he wouldn't take most things from um, the, the communist government, but he really likes the way they run their financial system. You know, I, I think that those comments, I'll, I'll go as far as to say that they're, that they're, that 
they're somewhat ignorant comments. I disagree with them. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of he was talking about Ant Financial and Jack Ma's company and how, you know, he felt that that encouraged speculation. Um, and he thinks that that should be clamped down on. You know, I, can, I, I can't comment as to the extent that Ant, everything that Ant Financial was doing and the products that they were offering. But I don't necessarily think that some speculation is a bad thing. I mean, not everybody can be a fundamental investor. Not everybody can be a value investor. I think the market works when you have different types of investors with different time horizons, with different outlooks and different approaches to investing. Um, but then also just the comments about, you know, they, they call them in and they said, you're not doing this, buddy. I didn't like that because it just, I don't think that it was likely an accurate description of what happened. I mean, here you had somebody who was very much in the public eye and that he made a criticism um, and then he disappeared. So I didn't like those comments, but overall, I really enjoyed researching Charlie Munger. And like I said, about 98% of what I, I read that he that he said or talked about, I really agreed with. Awesome. All right. Good. And I learned something. I thought Lollapalooza was a music festival. It is. I know. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go? That's what I want to know. No, no. I don't think I ever went either. But he where does it help? <laughs> where is it? He doesn't remember. I don't know. I, I thought it, it moved around. Oh, okay. I, I mean, maybe one of our listeners. Ryan doesn't that remember. That means he probably did. I go. looked up. There's one in Grant Park in Chicago on August uh, 3rd and 6th, 2023. So we can we can start booking our hotel packages and our flights now if you want. Right. Yeah. Aaron, you're in? I'll check with my wife and kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that was a if good If they say uh, I can go, then I'm, I'm in. It was a good summary. Did you anything else you dug up on them that you that you didn't want to discuss that we're going to pull out of you now or anything else? Uh, no, 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 not but, not really. I just you know, and I should also I should also say maybe he maybe he had a different perspective when he was making his comments on the Jack Ma situation. I just think it's for me it's somewhat of a crazy situation that somebody that's such high pro so high profile um, disappears like that. So, you know, he might've had a different perspective or wasn't thinking about it in that way, but, um, yeah, that was really the only thing. That... Yeah. I mean, the, the focus portfolio is really the, mm -hmm. the thing that, you know, I mean, there's so many things to take away from the way they do their business, right. Him and Warren, but you know, the focus portfolio, when you hear like the rest of, you know, 90, something percent of financial advisors you know talk about diversification 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 right and then you see like his holdings and obviously you know berkshire is diversified but i mean you know the the way that you know in their and we've seen warren himself's personal portfolio before like it, it was 70 something percent was in eight stocks right mm -hmm. like it's just mm -hmm. you know they they believe in doing a hell of a lot of research and you know putting your money where your mouth is and, and not owning, you know, 50 stocks or a hundred stocks or, you know, 10 mutual funds that all own 200 stocks. It's just, yeah. it's a, you know, it's a way of uh, investing based on your conviction. And, you know, if you're going to do all that research, why not make a bet that actually, it's not a bet. Why not make an investment that actually matters? Right? Mm -hmm. Make yeah. your winners count is the, yeah, uh, of course is, we talk is about their that principle. In the, in our no. seminars all the time. And I, I'll, I'll admit, I've never had 40% in one stock no, before no. myself. That's, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a little focused even for me. But the, the yeah, concept. Sure. And one of the things, you know, you never, I, I, and I would say, don't try and copy 
what Charlie Munger or what Warren Buffett do. Don't no, try you're and taking copy that. Things. You're Take taking the principles things. like that and like, like yeah. the mental models, like you said, but the principles and then, you know, understand those principles deeply and then apply them to your own strategy because what works for them, I mean, most of what Berkshire Hathaway does is buys entire businesses. They're essentially, they operate like a conglomerate and inside of an insurance structure, yeah. company structure. So it's, yeah. um, but they do have that, that publicly traded stock portfolio as well. And there's probably about, I don't know, I didn't count about 30 companies in it, but um, as I showed the top five, 70 accounted for 75%. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is the, is a key takeaway really. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they're there. And they're also, also like Apple wasn't always 42% in the portfolio. No, it's made no, tremendous gains no. in that portfolio and they've held on to, it. I mean, they've mm -hmm. sold some, but they've held on to, and, and it's that, I think that's the key part. Like they didn't just buy 42% in Apple, you know, it, they've allowed it. And it's one of the things that can be really difficult as an investor, as you see a company really doing tremendous in your portfolio, becoming five, 10, 20, if it comes to 30% of your portfolio, can you still look at that situation and say, it still offers value. If I saw it today, I'd buy it. So you're still continuing to hold, right? And having the discipline to do that, they have over time. Um, you know, it is a good thing to be able to do as an investor. It can be difficult when you're staring like 40% of your portfolio in one company, even if you think it's a great company, right? Mm -hmm. It is having a higher level of risk tolerance. We're not advising that. We're advising for your yeah. actively managed portfolio, 15 to 25 yeah. stocks, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, that's certainly a lot less than what many advisors well yeah would, you're, would you're just many are just having you buy the market and, and this you, is what if, we talk about in our seminars and by the way we're gonna launch into seminars at the uh end of next month uh, early into november so we're gonna do a couple in person so we'll have news on that coming out and we'll do our uh webinars too we'll do yeah. two one for the west coast and one for the east coast markets and so we'll have some more information on that in upcoming podcasts. Yeah, as well. going back, if I could just revert back to uh, Warren and Charlie here. Uh, about just over a year ago, I wrote an article um, on our website. It's on our blog, and essentially why I wrote it is it I uh, watched the HBO documentary called "Becoming Warren Buffett," and Warren kind of goes into how Charlie's strategy and his own strategy are a little bit different, where Warren would primarily uncover stocks that were trading at deep discounts to the market frequently gravitating towards small caps where Charlie on the other hand, and this is something that Warren speaks very highly of Charlie teaching him is finding a business with an economic moat and a business that isn't necessarily trading at a deep discount, but mm -hmm. more at a fair value, but is growing, uh, you know, uh, at a good clip over a long period of time. Um, anyways, I just kind of wanted to pose those two strategies. Yeah, no. And that's, that, that's yeah. that kind of, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. It's things like that that make me think that maybe, you know, he has been more of a driving force behind the success of Berkshire Hathaway. And I don't have exact numbers, but one of the reasons why he has so much less money, I understand to be that he's done a lot of his, made a lot of his charitable donations um, while, while alive. Whereas Buffett is planning to donate, I think, almost, virtually all of his fortune, but that's after his death. So that's one of the reasons why he has less money. And this comes down to the statement you made, Brendan. This comes down to the, the quote that I've heard from probably both of them that I'd rather buy, um, I'd rather buy a great company at a reasonable price than a bad company at a great price, right? Yeah. 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 No, it's and it's everybody should hear that and think about that when they're making mm -hmm. 
you know, any investment really. Oh. Yeah. You don't want to just buy the cheapest stock out there. Nope. You nope. want to buy a great business, good business at a reasonable price. Uh, not necessarily the cheapest. So let's move on. Brett's going to talk about, I think that's it, right? We've done our yes. bit on uh, Munger. Magnet Forensics Inc. M-A-G-T on the TSX. Uh, Brett, take that one away. It's time we answer a question on your stock. In a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Yeah, here we are. This was uh, from a viewer. Uh, we commented on them a couple weeks ago as well, and this is just a follow-up on a deeper description of the company and what they're specifically going through. As, Aaron, or as Ryan mentioned, Magnet Forensic symbol MAGT on the TSX is a developer of digital investigation solutions serving over 4,000 enterprises and organizations in over 100 countries. They develop tools to investigate cyber attacks and digital crimes, for the most recent quarter, Q2 2022, Magnet Forensics has, has had revenue of $23.1 million, an increase of 41% year-over-year. The annual recurring revenue increased 49% to $73.7 million. Revenue had a great year-over-year, -year, but the same cannot be said for net income or adjusted EBITDA. Net income came in at a loss of $1 million versus a profit of $1.6 million in the prior year. Adjusted EBITDA fell 20% to $3.5 million. The reason for the fall in income and EBITDA was primarily the increased research and development costs as well as sales and marketing expenses, both of which were in the prior year lower, both of which were in the prior year lower due to the pandemic. However, one of the key expenses not included in the adjusted EBITDA was share-based compensation which rose nearly 300% to 1.9 million as a percentage of sales. Share compensation was 8.2%, which is not absurdly high for a SaaS company, but would still be high compared to many other segments. As well, companies tend to have heightened share-based compensations post-IPO, which Magnet Forensics did have in 2021. Going forward, we need to monitor the share compensation if it stays high or if it starts to trend lower. For more information on the dynamics of share-based compensation, watch Aaron's previous segment on it, which I'll put a link to in the description. Clearly, the company is growing its top line and was profitable in 2021 when it reduces development costs, but that does not mean it can consistently produce profit and grow at the same time. One thing that I will be watching going forward in the coming quarters is a return to profitability while still having the suitable research and marketing costs. Something Magnet does have, though, is a strong balance sheet. The company holds $116 million in cash while only having $7.9 million in debt and leases. The company does provide guidance through the end of 2022. They estimate revenues of $92.5 million to $94.5 million. An adjusted EBITDA of $13.75 million to $15.79 million. Both of these imply the remaining half of the year will have growth in revenue and EBITDA compared to Q2. Let's take a look at what they, you are currently paying for the high revenue growth and potential adjusted EBITDA growth. The company has a trailing 12 month price to sales ratio of 2.7 times and a forward price to sales ratio using the management guidance of 2.4 times, as well as a trailing enterprise value to adjusted EBITDA of 8.8 .8 times and a forward of nine times. These are by no means criminally overpriced or underpriced metrics, but moving forward, 
I would like to see a return to gap profitability through expansion of profit margin, not just sales growth. All right. And that concludes. Yeah. That so concludes. you love it. Yeah. I mean, Magnet just, um, just, you know, good revenue growth, but, you know, it looks like revenue growth is declining. And mm -hmm. then there's, you know, a lack of, you know, accounting profitability, even like on an adjusted earnings basis. You know, it, it's, it's, it's certainly not cheap. And when you see, you know, declines in terms of growth, you know, I, you know, I, I, I looked at analyst estimates out there, but, you know, I think it's, let me, let me look here again. I thought they had like maybe 40 something cents next year. That's an adjusted earnings figure, mm -hmm. uh, unless I'm mistaken. So like on an accounting earnings basis, I'm not even sure if they're going to be profitable, right? So well, when we, and I that's, average yeah. estimate is 34. I, I mean, that's gotta be an adjusted figure mm -hmm. looking at their numbers right now, unless something like changes significantly. So yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I I would uh, take the, the PE that, you know, might be out there with a grain of salt on the company right now too, because it's certainly yeah. off of, of an adjusted figure. Yeah. And as we talked about, uh, Brett, Brett mentioned that we did a share-based compensation, uh, had, had a share-based compensation discussion a couple of weeks ago. It, um, you, you have to look, so 8.8%, you know, from a lot of these companies, share-based compensation is actually their largest expense, yet they ignore it when they calculate adjusted earnings. So it's important to know, you know, how much does that really change the financial picture? If you go with just the management adjusted figure that ignores share-based compensation, um, you know, how, like what is the difference between that as opposed to considering share-based compensation to be a real expense, as many investors, including Warren Buffett, think is absolutely necessary. If it changes the financial picture significantly, then you have to, you know, you have to really consider whether or not the company is profitable. For sure. Okay, and I think that'll end off. Brendan, you got anything else to say? No. You got I do it. not. You fell asleep. Sorry. <laughs> I did fall yeah. asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Brett. I thought so. It's okay. No worries. No worries. No worries. Okay. Well, keep, uh, anyways, if you're in Toronto in the area there, we're going to be at the convention center downtown on Friday and Saturday. Come out. I uh, would love to shake your hand and, uh, and listen to us talk there. Um, and, uh, keep hitting the subscribe button. I got it this time. Uh, if you're on YouTube, go onto YouTube, watch us on there. You can see our ugly mugs actually doing this you want to rate us and review us on itunes get in there and do that for us uh subscribe and we'll keep pumping out the content on a weekly basis i'd like to thank everybody for listening and watching and wish you all profitable investing thank you. Thank you.